The second Bible reading is also taken from John 5. We'll start reading from verse 24, and that can be found on page 1115 of the Bible. Verse 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed of this. at this. Sorry. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that, that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if I, ac if I accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, Moses you would believe me for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how, how are you going to believe what I say? Thank you, Amen. Now for those of you who are joining us uh, and joined us recently, we always um, include an outline of the sermon on the inside of the news bulletins. So you might find that helpful. Uh, I always find it helpful to learn properly. I want to be hearing, writing, seeing. 
And so for the rest of us also, it's good to keep our Bibles open because the authority is in the Word of God. We want to hear with our ears, but also in a sense hear with our eyes as well as we look down at the text. And so do keep your Bibles open. Well, let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, as we hear the words of Jesus, that we are to honour the Son, we pray that we will indeed honour him as we reflect on these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if Jesus was today here on earth, what do you think Jesus would be doing? Try to imagine that. If Jesus was here on earth, what would Jesus be doing? What would the work of Jesus be today? Now, many, many years ago, I remember this was a craze, particularly during my time as a teenager. Christians would wear these wristbands or bumper stickers they'll have on their car. What would Jesus do? Remember this? Some of us still have them around. It used to be a craze back then. What would Jesus do? And that was a tagline to get Christians to be considering, imagining, thinking, what would Jesus do in this situation? And so Christians would wear these wristbands on their, on their wrists. They have stickers. They have posters around. What would Jesus do in this situation? And so in the car, I'm running late. I'm getting a bit anxious and impatient. I feel like I'm speeding. I'm going to speed. I'm late. I look at my wrist. Ah, what would Jesus do? I would slow down. Or my kids are driving me up the wall and my patience is running thin and I'm getting really angry. And then I see the wrists. What would Jesus do? I calm down. Or my colleague at work, obnoxious, a nuisance, just gossiping, and I feel like I want to I get revenge on this person. And then I see this. What would Jesus do? And I, I calm down. Do you remember that? Some of you still have these around? What would Jesus do? We're reminded, well, what would Jesus do? He'll have you behave. But as we look at this passage, what we in fact see is that if Jesus were in fact on earth today, the extent of his work is far more important than that, far greater than that. That tagline, what would Jesus do? It seems to be about our moral living, our behavior. But when we look at this passage, what we find here in this profound passage is the core of the business of Jesus, the center of his message, what he is on about, the purpose of God. We hear from Jesus himself in this passage the work that he was involved in when he was on earth and the work he continues to be involved in today. And understanding this will reveal whether your life and my life is in alignment with the purposes of God. And so it's a very important text what we're looking at today. What is the work of Jesus? Well, what we see here is an encounter with a man. A desperate man, completely desperate, completely hopeless and helpless, paralyzed for 38 years. He can't help himself and in fact there was no one around to help him. So if you just think about that, 38 years, that's older than some of us. I mean that's a desperate, depressing situation. And that in a sense was a picture of the hopeless decay of humanity. So what did Jesus do? Well, it's very easy for us to forget how 
profound and miraculous this event was. We've been reading the Bible for many years. For some of us, we've heard miracles over and over again, thousands of time, times, and it's very easy to forget how extraordinary this miracle was. For who in the entire universe could do such a thing? And so Jesus sees this man turn to him. He's perhaps quite superstitious. He, he thinks that getting into the water first would mean that he would be healed. But anyway, Jesus turns to him and says, look at verse 6, Do you want to get well? Now, even a question like that, it has two levels, not just physically well, but spiritually well, as we'll see later on. Now, obviously, this man had no idea who was standing before him. Now, we have to again sense how extraordinary this was for Jesus, for this man, what Jesus will, what he was about to say. I mean, just imagine what Jesus is going to do now. Imagine if that were to happen today. Who would dare go to any ward in a hospital, see paralyzed men or women, and say to them, get up and walk? I mean, who dares say such a thing? You say that enough time, they'll throw you in the psych ward. You know, there's something wrong with you. Who would dare say such a thing? But here Jesus says just that. Verse 8, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. As easy as that. It's very easy to forget how profound, how miraculous that was. And then verse 9, as easy as that. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now even if you think about that, it just doesn't happen. A very good doctor might heal the spine and get a man walking. But even that would take months of physiotherapy. His muscles would have wasted away over 38 years of not using it. But yet he instantly, as easy as that, he picked up his mat and walked. And so what was the work of Jesus? The work of Jesus here was to bring hope to the hopeless to bring life to one as good as dead. And later on, when Jesus found him in the temple, what did he say? Look at verse 14. Jesus said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, what do you think Jesus meant by that? Well, somehow his paralysis was because of some sin he did. Now, it's not always the case that illness is linked to sin, but in this case it was. But what is this worst thing that can happen to him? What's worse than 38 years of paralysis? That's pretty horrible. That's, that's very depressing already. I asked my growth group this question this past week. What's worse than this? 38 years of paralysis. One guy said, well, 39 years of paralysis is probably worse than that. But what was Jesus referring to? Well, what Jesus was referring to will be what he'll speak about, and that is the coming judgment of God. What the children were reminded of this morning, Jesus will return. God will judge. It's not just a physical matter. It's a spiritual matter. Now, what we learned from this miracle was that it was not just a random event. It's recorded here for a purpose, and it's recorded here just before Jesus' long discourse about himself. It's there for a purpose. He did not heal him just for the sake of it, but Jesus is here making a very important point. When did this happen? It happened on the Sabbath. What was the problem with that? Well, the Jews said, you can't work on the Sabbath. In, in fact, they got so angry because Jesus healed this man, 
and the other miracles Jesus was doing on the Sabbath, they even tried to kill him. Now, why didn't Jesus pick the Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to heal instead of the Sabbath? Well, you see, Jesus was making a point here. On this occasion, it was occasion for Jesus to, to declare that the work he does is the work of God. The work of bringing life, the work of warning of judgment, that is the work of God. And so what would Jesus do? You know, that WWJD. Well, what Jesus would do is what God would do. That is the claim Jesus is making, which means the Sabbath law didn't really apply to him. That's why they got so angry. I mean, the Jews, they accepted that, that though God rested on the seventh day after creation, he continues to work in the world today. And God continues to work in sustaining the world, in upholding the world. If God were to stop to work, even for a split second, we would all be gone. Life would cease to exist if God were to stop working. And so here, what is it that Jesus claims? Just as God works, even on the Sabbath, so I too am working. In fact, look at verse 17 now. Jesus makes this profound claim, and it would have got them so angry, would have got their blood boiling. He said in verse 17, My Father. You know, not our Father. No Jew would dare call God their Father. God was Yahweh to them. My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. See, Jesus is claiming a special relationship with God the Father, but also I have the rights of God the Father. And the Jews saw that as a claim to divinity. He's, he's making himself equal to God. And now in this long discourse of Jesus, this is really, really, really profound. Because what we're getting a glimpse into here is the inner workings of God himself. The inner workings of the mysterious trinity. And Jesus reveals that to us here. You see, the work of Jesus is always the work of God. Like father, like son. You know that saying? Like father, like son. In our growth group on Thursday night, I asked um, how many of you are like your father or mother? Uh, one very uh, funny sister, she said, well, I've got the face of my father, but the mannerism of my mother, I, I found that funny. Uh, but you see, in the ancient world, you, you did what your parents did. If your father was a baker, you become a baker. If your father was a blacksmith, you become a blacksmith. If your mother was a seamstress, you become a seamstress. But here Jesus is making such a claim, but about divinity. Verse 19, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And so what would Jesus do? He would do what God would do. What would God do? What God would do would be what Jesus did. And we see here the inner workings of the Trinity. There is an ordering of relationship. God the Father, God the Son. God the Father in authority, God the Son subordinate to that, willingly submitting to God the Father, a perfect relationship there. And then we read in verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. 
Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. And so the wristband, what would Jesus do? Well, the answer is, what Jesus would do is what God would do. You know how people say, if only I could see God today, I would believe. Have you heard that before? If only I can see God, if God just shows himself, I would believe. Well, you would see God if you were living 2,000 years ago in Palestine. If you saw Jesus, you would see God. If you heard from Jesus, you would be hearing God. And in one sense, as we read this today, we are hearing the words of Jesus, the one who claims to be God. I mean, this is a profound claim. You have to do something with this. You have to choose. Who is he? Muhammad would never claim to be Allah. Buddha would never claim to be God. But Jesus here is claiming, I am divine. What God does, I do. And so if you're hearing this for the first time, this claim of Jesus, this is a man in human history in a real time and place claiming, I am God. You have to do something with this. It calls for a decision, a choice. No one in their right mind would claim such a thing unless it's true or they're just crazy or they're just lying. You can't just hear such a thing and think that Jesus was just a nice person. He's claiming to be God. What do you do with that? You see, C.S. Lewis, he puts this really well in his book, Mere Christianity. I'll read it um, at length. It's, it's an excellent quote. C.S. Lewis said, In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I could only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any character in history. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. See, one ordinary man, in fact one extraordinary man, claims to be God. You cannot just say, oh, that's a nice guy. He's either crazy, he's a devil, or he's in fact God himself. And so what is the work of Jesus? What is the work of God? Well, just like what we saw in that story, that story happened just before this discourse for a reason. It is to show that the work of God is to give life. The work of God is to give life, and the work of God is to judge life. That is the jurisdiction of God. That falls in his responsibility as God. And so first here we see Jesus makes clear that the work of God is to give life. Who can give life but God alone? Have you considered that? Who can be the one who bestows life, who raises the dead? Who can do that? None of us can do that. I mean, I might like to give life to things, but I make things die. Yvonne planted some, uh, a green plant. I don't even know what it is in our garden. I thought it was a weed. I pulled it out. It died. Now, I felt pretty bad about that. I wanted to give it life again. 
it just didn't happen. It's dead. It's like I cannot give life to even a plant. I used to have a dead, um, no, no, not, not yet dead, but a pet dog that will die, but not yet. I used to have a pet dog, hard to believe, but this was quite a long time ago growing up as a teenager. A cute, cute little Pomeranian. One morning, heading to uni or work, I think, I found this dog dead on the front of our doorstep. I couldn't bring it back to life again. I wasn't that sad about it, it was just a dog, but anyway, that's me. But I couldn't bring it back to life again. I had no power. That was not something that falls in my jurisdiction as a human being. And if we can't give life to dead plants or animals, how can anyone bring life to a dead person? You see, that is the prerogative of God alone. And just as God the Father has that power, so also the Son has that power to give life. Look at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. The story of the healing of the paralytic, it is to show that God can give life. This man who was as good as dead, God gave him life. Jesus will raise the dead girl in the gospel. Jesus will later on raise Lazarus. Who can do such a thing but God alone? And Jesus has that power because he has life within him. He is the source of life. Everything has life because of him. All life is because of him. Look at verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And so what would Jesus do? Often we, we tend to think, you know, the work of Jesus is so small and minor or insignificant. In fact, he is the life giver. The work of Jesus is the work of God, and that is to give life. And because it is God who gives all life, it is also God's prerogative to judge life. He owns us, and so he can judge us. In fact, what we see here is that God the Father entrusts to God the Son all judgment. God has given that responsibility to God the Son. Look at verse 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Now, why did he entrust judgment to the Son? We read on, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. And so if Jesus has been appointed by God the Father as the judge of every soul, he's the one we'll all face one day, you better honour him. He not only owns us because he created us and gave us life, but we owe him our worship. He demands it. You see, the, the work of Jesus is a matter of life and death, not just about trying to be good here and there or self-improvement. It is a matter of life and death. Every single one of us, every single soul in all of human history will have to face him. And our eternal destiny is based on whether we honour him or not. I mean, doesn't that just frighten you? The eternal destiny of every single soul is dependent on whether the person honours Jesus. Does it frighten you that so many people do not know of Jesus 
And does it frighten you that so many are so careless with Jesus? But now we see how will Jesus judge? Now you have to understand how wonderful this is. This is like getting the answers to the exam before the exam. We know how Jesus will judge and there will be no surprise. And this is the gospel call. Look at verse 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Living again, being raised to life again, crossing over from death to life is not about being decent or good or being successful or achievements in this life. It is not about those things at all. It is about whether I believe in the words of Jesus, for the words of Jesus are the words of God. And if Jesus said to us, the death I died was for you, or your filth and rubbish, your ugly rebelling, your deceitful heart, I'll take it all, I'll wash it clean and I'll die for you. Do you believe that? That is the gospel call. The death I died it was for you, so that you can come to be with God forever. Do you believe that? That is the gospel call. My resurrection was for you, so that one day you'll be raised to life again. Do you believe that? That is the gospel call. You see, our allegiance to Jesus, whether we honour him by believing, is what determines our eternal destiny. Going from death to life is whether I honour Jesus as my saviour. And now we read, how will he judge? Verse 28 and 29. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. That's why, you see, Christians talk about those who are Christians and die. They're merely sleeping because they're awaiting the call of Jesus. So 28 again, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, that is those who show good fruits of their faith, will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. On judgment day it is black and white. We'll all know what we have done. We'll know whether we've honoured the sun or not, and there's no denying it, excusing it, or defending it. And you see, when Jesus stands as judge one day, there's no appeals. You know, in our, in our court system, you can always appeal to a higher court until you get to the high court of Australia. But when you're standing before Jesus, there's no high authority. He is the highest authority there is, and there is only life or condemnation. He will judge based on whether you've honoured him or not. And so what do we see here? The work of Jesus is the work of God. It is to give life and it is to bring judgment. And so my question at the beginning, if Jesus was now here on earth, what would he do? You see, it will be the same. It will be to give life. It will also be to warn of judgment. The works of Jesus is a matter of life and death. It's a life and death matter. Often we diminish Jesus so much 
that he's so interested in so many other things that are not so important. What Jesus is important, uh, what Jesus is concerned with, is a matter of life and death. And so, what would Jesus do? Of course, Jesus is concerned for every minor details of our life. He knows every number of hair. The number of hairs on our head is numbered. He's concerned for our health, of course, our relationships, our studies, our food, our clothes. But we can't lose this perspective. Often we Christians make, make the small things such big things in life, but they're not. They're not matters of life and death. The work of Jesus is a matter of life and death. He gives life and he continues to give life to those who believe in him. He warns of judgment. There will be judgment day coming. Do not lose that perspective. You see, that should get us to reflect on our life. How much of our life is given to the things that really matter, that really are a matter of life and death? How much of our week is really given over to this matter? The work of Jesus is a matter of life and death. See, if Jesus was in the world today, that's the work he would be doing. In fact, that's the work he's entrusted to us, his followers, his family. You see, when Jesus saw that paralytic man, he had compassion, but he gave him life, gave him hope. One who was as good as dead, stand up and walk. Well, in a sense, we do something very similar. On a spiritual level, we don't say get up and walk, but we say believe in him whom God has sent. Honour the Son of God and you will live. Your eternal destiny de depends on that. You'll cross over from death to life. Proclaim Christ. And that is where life is to be found. Warn this world because judgment is coming. You see, the work of God continues in and through us. And so our work now is also a matter of life and death. How much of our week is given to this work? Our work now, the business of every Christian and every church, is a matter of life and death. You see, we're not a social club. We're not here just to make each other feel good during the week. We're here because we're on the business of life and death. You see, have you understand how important our role is in this world? If you believe this, you live. If you believe this, you know what your future verdict will be. One of my responsibilities as a, as a Presbyterian minister is that I sit on a committee for our presbytery that's responsible for interviewing those candidates interested in becoming ministers. And a question I always ask these applicants in our interview is I, I want to see whether they have the clarity, whether they can articulate what their business is, whether they can articulate the gospel because it is a matter of life and death. And so I say to them, just assume I'm not a Christian. You've got two minutes. Share with me the gospel. Convince me that I need Jesus. Convince me that I'm a sinner. Convince me that this is important. I want them to have that clarity to convince me that what they're on about, why they want to become a minister, is because it's about life and death. 
when they answer well, when they can articulate what they're on about, that it is this important. It's not just a job. It's not just a, a change of lifestyle. It is a matter of life and death. When they can articulate the gospel, they convince me. But if they can't, they lose my confidence. But you see, that's a question I ask these prospective candidates. But it's really for all of us who are believers, because we're in it together. The work of the church and every Christian is a matter of life and death. And so if you're not yet a Christian, you hear this call from Jesus. Your eternal destiny depends on whether you honour him. Will you believe? Will you receive eternal life? Will you want to know your future verdict today? And if you want that, what do you do? Well, in a, in a sense, you do nothing. You can do nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to pay for it. You hear the words of Jesus and you believe. You do nothing, but you get salvation. You bring nothing and you get eternal life. You surrender yourself completely to Jesus and you'll be raised to life one day. Do nothing, get everything. That's for those of you who are not yet Christians. But yet for those of us who are already Christians, we have to do something. We have to live with this perspective. The central mission of our church is the work of Christ. It is not a small thing, what we're on about. And so when Jesus saw that paralytic, it wasn't merely just compassion for his physical needs, it was his spiritual need. There is terrifying judgment to come. Jesus gave him life and warned him of judgment. And don't we all have, amongst those we love, brothers or sisters or parents or sons and daughters or grandchildren or colleagues or neighbours who do not know this? Their eternal destiny depends on whether they honour Christ or not. How does that make you feel? If we remember that we're in the business of life and death, it should in fact ache our hearts that there are so many around us who miss out. Yesterday I was uh, away at a dad's camp with my son Ethan from the school. It was a school organised camp for dads and their son or daughter. And I had the opportunity to meet the other dads at this school. And that was fun and interesting. And it was particularly interesting just to see what they were doing for work. And so I met an interior designer, someone working in IT, someone who had his own business in finance, some bankers. And when they found out what I did, I said, I just work across the road from the school as the minister there. I always get this surprised look. You know, that's strange. Not very often we meet a minister. Um, I would share about my life. I used to work as an engineer. They understood that. But they would always ask, why are you doing this? Isn't that strange? I mean, you, you worked for a few years. You went back to study again. And now you're doing this. Why? Now, yesterday I shared with a, a guy, a, a few guys, in fact. One guy said, I just have no idea what you do. It is just weird and strange. But another guy I shared with him. And he said, what, why did you choose this? I thought you had a pretty good life. And he says, because I'm convinced and convicted that there will be judgment day, I said to him. One day you'll stand before God. And there's only two ways about it. There is only heaven and hell. 
I'm doing this because I'm in the business of life and death. We are in the business of life and death. We cannot lose that perspective. C.T. Studd, a famous English cricketer. In 1884, his brother was sick and so he was confronted by, by death and eternity. He was a, a, a famous cricketer back then and he said this after he was confronted by death. He said, what is order fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? He was reflecting on his own Christian life and what he was investing his life in. And when he was confronted by death and eternity and understanding the important task that is given to all Christians, the work of Christ is the work of God. Christians, in a sense, continue that work of Christ by making him known. He said this. He said, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bells. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. You see, he recognized, he, he had a great career ahead of him, but he recognized there is eternity, there is heaven and hell. I'm in the business of life and death. That's the business we're all in. The work of Christ is the work of God, to bring judgment, to bring life. That's our work today as we proclaim Christ and point people to him. That's what Jesus would have us do today. Amen. Let's pray.